Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red. As we reflect on a painfully familiar story for Nottingham Forest in the Premier League when it comes to away games, we can now West, add West Ham's list of teams who put four or more goals past the Reds on the road as it finished 4 0 at London Stadium on Saturday, even though it was 0 0 with 20 minutes to go. So, joining me to discuss the game and look ahead to Everton at the weekend, first of all, is Reds fan Mikey Clark. Mikey, good morning. You well? Good morning, Matt. Yep, I'm great. How are you? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. I should say this isn't a live episode, it's a recorded one because of my internet problems, so sorry about that, we'll be back to normal service next week. Second guest today is Greg Mitchell, who's probably expecting an intro about him that his mates have been teeing me up for, but I'll save something for later. So Greg, good morning, you well? Yeah, I'm good. I'm surprised you haven't got the studio set up yet. Neighbours Wi-Fi and oh, I've got to get something sorted. <laughs> I'm in my neighbour's kitchen. He's properly bailed me out. Shout out to James Lodder and Fanula Lodder, who's also he's also looking after my kids for 20 minutes or so. Snaps up here. So uh, final guest today. Now uh, a review for iTunes that I put on Twitter called me uh, the vicar of Nottingham Forest, basically, and Greg, the fa- brilliant kid from the Fast Show. But anyway, if I'm the vicar, then Colin Frey is the patron saint or the Archbishop of Nottingham Forest. So Colin. Uh, fresh from BBC Radio Nottingham. Thanks for joining us. Are you well? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. I've been called many things, but never, ever either of those two things. So, uh, thank no. you. Well, there's one to add to your list. It's not the worst <laughs> one, I suppose. Uh, we'll start with you, Colin. I mean, obviously, it was a wretched day for the Reds. What we were saying before we recorded, I didn't see it coming even at nil-nil. What did you make of it overall to kick us off? Yeah, I mean, I, I just thought it was uh, a return to the bad old days of earlier in the season. Uh, last week, I, I kind of described the point against Manchester City as a coming-of-age performance in the in the Premier League. And I think if uh, if that was right, then you've got to say that they've sort of regressed into naive adolescence again uh, at, uh, at the London Stadium. It was... Um, uh, from I, I mean, I thought really right from the start, I don't think Forrest were really at it. I mean, they gave the ball away so often in their own half and, and created their own problems. Um, and even before the onslaught of goals in, in the second half, you know, West Ham had hit the bar, uh, hit the post a couple of times and gone close with efforts from just outside the penalty area. Paquitar missed just, didn't he, after... Bowen had hit the inside of the post. That was the second time they'd hit the post already. Um, and I just thought... <sighs> For, for pretty much all of those earlier West Ham efforts, before we even start talking about the goals, Forrest were, were makers of their own downfall. They just kept giving the ball away inside their own half. And, and there just seems to be a, a real issue with playing away from home and being able to keep the ball. Um, and, it, and it's odd when you see them, you know, string 20 passes together the previous week and score against Manchester City on their own pitch to be as naive as they were, you know, a week later because they're away from home in a big stadium, it seems. 
Um, it just is uh, it's a bit inexplicable. I'm sure Steve Cooper's scratching his head trying to work out why on earth it keeps happening. Yeah, I looked at the possession stats and the passes, thinking Forest have been played off the park. And actually, they had more of the possession. But I think you're yeah. spot on in terms of what they did with it. I, I, I thought they were so poor on the ball in midfield. And we'll get on to that. And I think, I mean, Greg, I think Colin's spot on. It felt like Forest were slow from the start and it really gave the West Ham fans something to cheer, which was probably the last thing they wanted to do because it could have turned toxic. What was it like in the ground for you? It was frustrating and I completely understood that that we went for it because although, yeah, the West Ham fans, they weren't getting on the backs like I'd hoped they would. It was a nil-nil game. It was a, it was a boring nil-nil game with not a lot going on. So I could see why we went for it. And, you know, like, yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing and it certainly didn't work. But there's still a small part of me that's, that's glad we tried something. We, we did go for the win and I know it failed miserably. And like I say, you can look back and say, I wish we hadn't done that because I think it was just petering out into a steady nil-nil forgettable draw for me. Uh, so, yeah, massive shame. Um, and, you know, Shelby going off, you could see that as as a something to look forward to, the fact how, how how good he was for us and how different the game was without him. So once he's at 90 minutes fitness, things are going to work a lot different for us. But, yeah, it was, just, it was just a mad five minutes, crazy five minutes. And even from my seat that was pretty much near Buckingham Palace or somewhere equally far away, uh, it was just gutting. It was, but it was strange walking out the ground because there wasn't the the heads down and the like. There was on Twitter. You looked at Twitter on the evening. I thought, oh my god, log off. I'm done with that for the day. And it, it was different in the ground walking out. I can assure you that. Um, we'll talk about the Shelby sub in more detail because I think people have pinned that as the turning point, and we'll come to that next. Um, Another thing people have raised, Mike, is the team selection at the start and saying, you know, Chris Wood shouldn't have started and player action at start. I mean, I have to be honest, when the team was posted, I put in our WhatsApp group, that looks a good team, looks quite hard to beat. And I could understand Wood starting after his, you know, impressive performance against Man City. Is it a bit of, you know, hindsighting to say the team selection was wrong before we get into the in-game tactics? Yeah, potentially. I think I was kind of with you though, Matt. I think when I when I saw the team, I was I was pretty confident we'd, we'd get something. I think we spoke the other week around West Ham's inability to score goals and their struggle. And, and you know, it was interesting hearing Greg saying that he didn't feel that their fans were sort of turning on them yet. But I would have thought maybe five, ten minutes down the line, if we could have held on a bit further, I think they probably would have done. So I think the team setup was right. I think the shape was right. I concur with Colin around. We never really seemed to do anything or settle into the game. We kept giving the ball away. So I had a very different perspective. I I was out with work in India, so I watched it uh, on their TV with their commentators and they were quite disparaging about about Forrest. But I I did put in our our group as well, Matt, that, you know, after 20 minutes, I'll take a nil-nil because you can almost sense the way the game's going. I think they'd hit the post. They'd come close with with a few half chances. Um, and then when we, when we got to half time, I was I was quietly encouraged. I will disagree with Greg though. I um I just think a point away from home, especially with our away record, and I'm sure we'll touch on that, could have been vital because it stops them from winning as well. So when he made that change, I'm sure we'll go into more detail. I was I was really surprised if I'm honest, and unfortunately, worst fears kind of played out. Um, 
that five or ten minutes after that first goal, I, I haven't seen anything like that since the start of the season. I think Forest have let in. I think this must be the fourth time we've let in three goals in sort of 10, 11 minutes. So we had Arsenal away, Leicester away, Fulham at home. And, you know, I think we joked about it the other week, you know, one used to used to bring two, used to bring three. three. And I, th- I thought we'd got over that. And it was really disappointing to see us sort of fall back into those those old habits. I can't really put my finger on why that was. I'm sure we'll dissect it in a second. But I don't mind about losing the football game if we lost it 1-0 or 2-0. And as Greg said, if we tried, if we tried to be progressive and tried to step up the pitch and it just didn't work and we lost 1-2-0, or two nil, you'd go, OK, fair enough. But the way that game ended um, left a real sort of bitter taste in my mouth. And it's I'm sure a lot of Forest fans have been trying to understand what the hell happened for that last 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much to dissect from that substitution in terms of was it right to take Shelby off? Was it right to put IU on? Was it what sparked the collapse? Or is that giving an excuse to the other players? I mean, just... Kick us off, Colin. What was your take on it? Did Cooper get it wrong or are we giving them too much excuses to the players? Well, I think the first thing to remember is is what, and to reiterate, is what Steve Cooper said after the game. So so the starting point is that John Joe Shelby has to come off. Um, and I think I think we were we would all agree that if he didn't have to come off, he would have left him on. Um, so then the choice is, do you bring on an Oral Mangala, for instance, and, and leave the, the shape as it was? Or do you do something a little bit more expansive, a little bit more attacking, try and go and win the game? And I can just see why Steve Cooper went for what he did. Um, I, I think at the time of that game, at the time of the substitution, Forrest had had probably their best five minutes of the game. Now, it wasn't brilliant. It wasn't great. Um, but they, I think the crowd was just on the point of turning. Um, and I think, I think Steve Cooper and his coaching staff felt that. And I think they just thought that this might be the time. We've got, you know, they, they're probably thinking, if they're honest, got away with it a bit, haven't played very well, but we're still nil-nil. We've just had our best five, six, seven minutes of the game. The game's starting to open up. It's getting a bit more expansive. We're getting a bit more joy inside their half. Let's just put the foot on the gas a bit and see if we can just nick the goal, win the game 1-0. I can see why he did it. Um, I, I think I, I then look at the goals that happened afterwards and I think if Shelby's on the pitch, do they happen? Well, maybe not, but you can't have Shelby on the pitch. You've got to take, you've got to take that um, out of the equation because if you leave him on the pitch, he's probably going to get injured and then you're done for another month, six weeks, rest of the season, whatever it might be. So you've got to take Shelby out of the equation. If they leave it in the same shape, is is it going to stop the goals? I've looked at the goals again and I'm not convinced it does. I already said that in the shape that Forrest started and played that first 70 minutes, they were still second best for virtually all of the game and, and, and making horrible mistakes. 70 minutes with Shelby on the pitch, they were still making horrible mistakes and West Ham at the post twice and, and went close to scoring on a number of other occasions as well. Um, I think more than anything, the goalkeeper, the, the long break for the goalkeeper getting injured probably just affected Forrest's concentration. Because I think more than the substitution, probably, it was a concentration thing after the uh, restart. And within, what, four or five minutes of the restart, they're two down. And then another five minutes goes and they're three down. 
And I think it, it was, um, I mean, if you look to see where the goals came from, I'm not sure having a Shelby or a, or a Mangala or whoever it may have been in that same shape is going to stop those goals because Jared Bowen was an absolute nightmare for Forrest all afternoon. And, you know, the goals, first couple of goals came came with him involved. And, uh, you know, certainly the first one across from the right-hand side, far too much room to cross, as he had done throughout the rest of the game. So I'm not sure it was down to substitution. I think it was down to... Um, well, not necessarily down to substitution. I mean, I think Forrest probably, if they kept the same shape, might have been a bit more solid and probably lost the game one or two nil, but not four nil, but still lost the game. And I can see why the gamble was was made. I just think in the end, Forrest got punished for a load of errors. And I thought the most alarming thing probably that Steve Cooper said afterwards, which I completely agree with, was that he questioned their desire. He questioned a lack of desire amongst his team. Um, and I think more than anything, that's what led to the influx of goals. Never mind formations, personnel, whatever. Just a lack of desire to keep the ball out of their own net and a, a willingness to accept defeat as soon as they'd gone 1-0 down. And I think they're the more worrying aspects of what happened on Saturday. Yeah, I think I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, for my two penneth on the sub, I mean... We lauded Cooper as a hero for his tactics against Man City and against Leeds when he put Nico Williams to the left wing, which actually I think was what he needed to, could have benefited with doing to double up on Bowen, but there's no right back to put on the pitch in this game. I mean, with hindsight can be the buzzword uh, of this podcast, I think. With hindsight, it didn't work and probably Mangala would have been the right switch for me. But I don't. I think we're giving the players too many excuses to pin it totally on Steve Cooper. I don't think the sub was right, but I think, like Connor says, there's much bigger issues which we'll get into around mentality and quality of defending. And I've got bugbears with midfield and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, Greg, first of all, it's such a big debate. I should give you a quick take on it all. Do you agree or disagree with what Colin says? No, I agree completely. And it, it's just the, the lack of options at the minute with all, this, with all the injuries. It's obviously going to be a massive hamper, but also an excuse. And there's some players looking at that, when you're talking about desire, is it like looking at that and thinking, oh, well, the excuse is there. I mean, I'd have loved to have seen Surridge come on. I think a lot of people would just because of his, his goal-scoring ability when he does get a sniff a goal. Uh, but it was good to see Lingard get some minutes again. We, we still haven't got a clue if he can be any good for us because we saw snippets of it before he got injured. So I'm glad he's now got minutes again and desperately fills a spot on the bench at least. Um, I just, I know we'll get onto it, so I won't now, but I just want to talk about next Sunday because of how big that's going to be. But there are still hopeful signs. Away performances are, are horrendous. You know, the worst in all four divisions, only scoring three goals away from home. But there is going to be that opportunity and there will be that game at some point, that away game that's going to make the difference and it will click. But Whenever Forest lose big, they always learn, and that's all I'm looking at at the minute. Yeah, they don't. They don't need to win a half of away games. This is part of a wide debate around away form, and they just need to win one or two. It's whether they can do it is the question. I mean, Mikey, when Colin talks about mentality and will to win away from the comfort blanket of the city grounds, that is a worry, isn't it? It's only a kick, a jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. 
It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I think if you if you look at the way record, uh, you know, Greg was just saying we've scored three goals. It's the worst um, record in all four divisions. I think we've let in 29 goals. So every 10 we let in, we managed to score one. You're not going to get many points there. I guess just, I don't want to harp on about it, but I guess just going back to that substitution and it, and it is, it's easy just to pinpoint one thing and say that's where it went completely wrong. But as Colin, I think, quite rightly said, we were struggling before that and we were lucky to be level. But I guess that's, that's what kind of baffled me even more. They're the types of games where you really, really struggle to get anything going. And if you can take anything from it and stop your opponent from winning, I think that probably should have been the priority. But we can, can debate that all the time. I think everybody I've spoken to since that game there's been a bit of a mixed view. I think some concur that, you know, maybe the crowd were about to turn and maybe it was the right sub to do because we could have nicked it 1-0 and then we're all having a very different conversation this morning. Um, but it didn't work. But as Greg said, you know, we're still in a good position. I think we're four points off the bottom three. If we beat Everton, we could be seven points off. And if you would have said to us a few months ago, would you take seven points off the bottom three in March? Everybody would have been celebrating and you know would have been would have been great so let's not get too down about it our away form is horrific so we probably need separate conversations on what, what the hell we need to do because we, we seem to be trying everything but nothing sort of landing but our home form is excellent and that crowd at the city ground makes all the difference so what is it a 2 p.m kickoff on sunday I don't think timings will worry our fans. You know, I remember turning up years ago to early kickoffs and it was a bit dead. You're not going to get that on Sunday. I absolutely guarantee that. The fans will be up for it from minute one. And, you know, let's all sort of stick together and, and try and get a positive result on, on Sunday and fans will be integral in that. But I just think you have to look back on it and say, West Ham, it was a poor day at the office. I don't think anybody got more than a five out of ten, if we're being really, really honest. Um, I, I struggled to think of anybody who, who, who sort of impacted the game. Maybe Shelby, Johnson had a few runs, Gibbs White had a few nice touches. But other than that, it was just a poor day at the office. Massive game on Sunday, Matt. Absolutely massive. If we win that, everybody's flying again, including the players and including Cooper and his team. Mm, mm. Are you worried about pressure on home games, Colin, that you know eventually they're going to they're gonna crack and lose one? Everton's such a massive game or do you have to almost treat it as two football teams this season? It's weird. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm absolutely honest, yes. I mean, I think it is a worry because if if the home form does crack, then I think they are in big trouble. Hmm. Um, but there's been little sign of that. And as Mikey's just said, you know, the fans have just been absolutely magnificent this season. And have, I, I you know, I was... In getting ready for Saturday, I was making a little thing for the radio, looking back on the the first game against West Ham, the first home game of the season, and and even then, uh, Tyro Wanyu did a post match interview and said, "Without the fans, we don't win that game." So even then, after one game, the the players were you know were, were acknowledging how important the fans were at the City Ground, and and nothing's changed with that throughout the course of the, of the whole season. And I think the fans have 
not quite literally, because they're not allowed to, but almost literally drag them over the line on, on certain occasions to get their point or their three points. Um, so that shouldn't be underestimated, and that is a massive factor. Um, but am I concerned about it? Yes, because they've got nothing to fall back on. Because, you know, you look at the next away game at, at Spurs, and that, you know, that looks daunting to say the least for a team that's only scored three away goals all season and, you know, as you say, conceded almost 30. Um, so you kind of think they have to do it at home and the games are there for them to do it at home. They can get enough points, I think, at home. Um, Everton, the first one, they've got the likes of Wolves coming. You know, never mind, they might get something out of a Newcastle or something like that in the same way as they got a point against Manchester City as a, as a bit of a bonus. But you look at uh, Wolves, Southampton, Everton as three really winnable games. And if they can um, win those three at the City Ground, then that gives them another nine points. And then you're only looking at needing maybe a couple of draws, three draws somewhere else. Um, and you might pick up a point away from home. Who knows? Somewhere along the line, it, it might happen again, um, as well as whatever else you, you might do in, in the other home games that are left. So um, I, I think there's there's a lot of reason for optimism. But in direct answer to your question, am I worried that, you know, if it does crack at home, then yes, I think that would be a real worry. Uh, but as I say, not much sign of that so far. And when you can see off uh, without losing, at least the likes of Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool, amongst others in that run, then that has to give you so much belief and uh, for, for the for the remaining remaining games of the season. That said, I thought it would give them belief at West Ham as well, and it, it clearly didn't. So, um, But yeah, it goes without saying, it's huge, isn't it, Sunday? It's absolutely massive. Pivotal, I would say, because if they lose and they find themselves only a point or two clear um, after the weekend's games, then that really is pressure as you, as you then go to Spurs the following week. Um, just lastly, on general away games, before we get into a few specifics, um, Greg, as someone who goes week in, week out, or alternate weeks, I guess, would you like to see Forrest kind of, or Cooper just kind of go in away games and make it absolutely wretched to watch and try and grind out some very, very boring nil-nils like he did when we when he was on the brink a while after that Leicester game? Or do you want to try and entertain and score some goals? I mean, nothing's working, is it? Do you feel like something has to change away from home? Um, yeah. And he's learning as much as we are about these Premier League away games. Uh, but we were having that boring, wretched nil-nil on Saturday. It looked like it was edging towards that. Uh, and he, t- he rolled the dice and it didn't work. So I imagine, you know, maybe Spurs, who knows. The next away game, if it's like that, we'll, we'll keep it tighter and we'll learn from the mistakes. So performance away from home the style we play the way we play does not matter one jot at the minute grind out a horrendous point and it'll be worthwhile and everyone will love it uh you're thinking about the brighton game the nil nil battling point that was brilliant you know biggest cheer of the game i think was when yatesy did that crunching tackle and you just you want a bit more of that you want a bit more of that fight and with yates on the horizon now he's getting close there's plenty of optimism there to to if we need to get those battling points. You know, you've got like Palace away, one of the last games of the season. Maybe we'll learn enough by then to to get what we need. So, yeah, of course there's a concern there. Of course everyone's worried and it hasn't managed to turn yet, but it it, it will do. We will get it. We'll get it right one or two times and that's all it's going to take. I mean, Greg talks about 
fight and winning the battle, Mikey. I do feel that's a real weakness away from home, like just losing the battle consistently, especially in the middle of the park. I think Colback's been brilliant, but it wasn't necessarily his day. You've seen what Shelby can do. I feel like Remo Freuler's a real hotly debated player and you like some kind of football hipster genius if you see the good work he does off the ball and, you know, you understand the game. And if you don't see the good work he does, then you some kind of football dunce according to people's perceptions of the player. I mean, I don't know where I am with him. I must admit, I don't think he's been great since the World Cup, particularly. And in the away games at Fulham or on Saturday, I thought he was really disappointing. But he does have good games. I think, he, actually, I think he's just a decent Premier League midfielder who's slightly, perhaps slightly underwhelmed, but still been a good signing. But I, I think the, so he, I'm somewhere in the middle on him. I don't think he's as good as people say, and I don't think he's as bad as people say. What's your take on him and the Forest general midfield mix at the <clears> moment? Yes, it's a tricky one. We um, we always debate, if we're going to stick with that three, be it home and away, we always debate the um, who's the best in that three. So what mix do we want? And I guess it's horses for courses in terms of the, the people that you play, um, the teams that you play, sorry. So against Man City, I think we played every single midfielder we had in the squad. We had them all on the pitch at some stage. Um, but that's a very different game. But I, I, think, in, I think in general... Steve Cooper is looking probably to play the 4-3-3, certainly at home. And who are those three? So I think when everybody's fit, I'd like to see uh, Freuler, Shelby and Danilo, if I'm honest. I think Danilo, I think, is is, is hit the ground running. I think he's a, he's a lovely player and will only get better with games. I think Shelby can dictate the tempo. And I think I'm still in the positive Freuler camp because you look at his stats after the game. I'm not a massive one for stats, I'll be honest, but his do jump out at you in terms of the running, the tackling that he does. And he's one of them, a bit like Yatesy. I forgot Yatesy, blimey. I'm assuming he's still injured. You have to have him in, maybe for Danilo. Um, mm. But I think if you um, if you look at Freuler's impact, he's probably one that if you take out of that team, you, you probably see the difference, just as just as what's happened with Yates. So we do have a few options. be interesting to see what he goes with on Sunday. Um, I suspect he might go with the, the three that I, that I mentioned at the start. I think away from home, Matt, just to sort of give my two pence worth on it. It's dead easy to be drawn on the fact we've only scored three goals, but we have picked up five points. So we can get nil-nils, we can get one-ones, which has been proven. I think two of the three draws against our relegation rivals, so Everton and Bournemouth. So you'd expect us maybe to go there and compete. The other one, as Greg was saying, was, was Brighton, which was a horrid game. But every single Forest fan in the world would have taken a nil-nil there before they came. So I think perhaps we just need to be, I always err on the more pragmatic side. I don't think this team is, is built to, to open up, certainly not away from home. Even our home game, Bruni win by the odd goal. So for me, I think Tottenham away, I'd play I'd play five midfielders if I can, maybe four, five, one, and just try and keep it as tight as possible. And then maybe I'll sort of... 10 minutes, see, see what the game's like and maybe go for it then. Um, but I certainly wouldn't go for it if we're level like we did at the weekend. I think every away point is precious, especially when you're really, really struggling to find a formula that consistently works throughout the games. So going back to Colin's point again, there are winnable home games. I think until our home form changes, we have to be really positive and say, We've not seen anything to suggest that we can't beat Southampton and we can't beat Everton and we can't get something against Wolves and then maybe, as Colin said, a sneaky point against Newcastle and Man United, perhaps. Um, So until that becomes a problem, 
I don't think we should talk of it as a problem. But the away form is definitely a problem. So I think Tottenham away, I will go ultra pragmatic and just try and stay in the game as much as possible. Otherwise, we could be looking at another 4-5-0. But before that, Everton at home, we can win that game 100%. You always come in, Colin. Yeah, no, I was just, I, I, would, I was going to say um, early in that um, answer from Mikey that, that you've got to have Yates in the three if he's fit, haven't you? I, I, I just think they missed him so much. And the sooner he's back in, the better, you know, whether it be at the city ground or whether it be away. Um, uh, and and just to pick up on what, what you were just saying there at the end, I, if if you were to offer me another Brighton in a couple of weeks' time at, at Tottenham and say nil-nil and, and Forrest barely get out their own half, snatch your hand off right now. <laughs> Let's take it and run. Um, and that's going to be, you know, obviously very, very easy to sit here and say that, uh, whatever it is, 11, 12 days out. But um, you know, far a lot of hard work to be done um, at Spurs to, to earn that point, like there was at, at Brighton. But if it has to be that to get a point, then I think the vast majority of Forest fans would take that at this stage. Hmm. And uh, Freud would still be in my three. Just, I, I would have. No, the I three agree. I agree as well. I, I mean, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing about him. I don't think he had a particularly good game on on Saturday. To be fair, same as same as none of them did. I mean, mm. I, you know, look at the third goal, and and Freud has gone chasing the ball and left Rice, and then has to close him down. He's too late, so Rice mm. has got bags of time. So I don't think it was his best game, but I think. Uh, you just need to look at the fact that when Worrell and Yates were both out, it was him who got the captain's armband. I mm. think that shows you how much esteem Cooper holds him in and, and possibly the rest of the players as well. I think he would, if he wasn't there, you'd really notice that he wasn't there in the same way as you have with, with Yates not being in as well. Yeah, my three would be Freuler, Shelby and Yates. I, I, I think they. I don't think, touch wood, you go down with those two. I've said that on the podcast before, but I think I'm just looking for a bit more maybe consistency from Freuler. It sounds like I'm digging him out. Like I say, I think he's a, a decent, solid Premier League midfielder, but I think we're just losing too many battles away from home and I think Yates would, would help with that. Uh, just a couple of specifics on the West Ham game. Um, we should have discussed Brennan's penalty appeal very briefly. I mean, I, I didn't think it was a penalty personally. Did, did anyone think it was? No. I did at half-time when the bloke behind me showed me. Yeah, a couple of pre-match beers and a bit excited. <laughs> I mean, there was there was contact, wouldn't they? Maybe if the ref had have gave it, it may not have been overturned. But I certainly wasn't thinking much about it this weekend after seeing it. No, I think you're right, Greg. I, th- I think um, I said in the commentary on on Saturday at the time it happened, um, only with the benefit of replays. To be fair, um, when they were when they were reviewing it on on the VAR. The problem with it was, there was definite contact. There was contact. The problem with it was, when you look back on VAR, there was a slight hesitation before Brennan went down. Uh, he didn't go down once, you know, the contact didn't make him go down. There was contact, and there was the slightest hesitation, and then he went down. And you could almost see it going through his mind, oh, I've been kicked there, I need to go down, I'm in the box. And in that time that the thought process has happened, when you're reviewing it on VAR... It's not, but it looks like a dive because of that. It's only an instantaneous, you know, a fraction of a second where there's the hesitation. But then it looks like you haven't gone down because of the contact. Um, and, and I think, you know, there, you know, there are, I suppose, a bit like Harlan last week, just flinging himself down at the slightest fingertip on his shoulder from, from Joe Worrell. I think players are kind of told these days, as soon as you feel contact, go down. And I think 
there was that because there was that slight hesitation between contact and, and Johnson going down, VAR's never going to overturn it because of that. Same thing happened with Emmanuel Dennis in one of the early games this season. Um, he was there was definitely contact on him inside the penalty area. Um, might even have been that controversial Brentford game. Forgive me, I can't quite remember which one it was, but there was contact on him inside the penalty area. But then there was a slight hesitation before he went down. And I think when you get that hesitation, VAR goes, well, can't give it then. And you might mm. be right. If he's if the referee's given it on the pitch because he's seen the contact, then VAR probably doesn't overrule it. But because the referee's not given it, that hesitation, I think, is, is what's uh, in the end lost them the, the VAR appeal. Um, looking at the goals, not in great depth because we've been talking for half an hour and they're all pretty painful to watch to varying degrees. The first one, Mikey, I mean, like Colin said at the start, Jared Bowen gave Lodi a hell of a time. Uh, Lodi was playing with an injury. But then, you know, that first goal, Lodi beats, um, sorry, Bowen beats Colback. Lodi's out of position. Joe Worrell doesn't track Danny Ings. It's, it's not great to watch, is it? It's not. No, Jared Bowen was the best player on the pitch by a mile. I, I, I used to work in Hull. I remember seeing him down there. It was like having a cheat code, him playing for them when they were in the championship. He was He's unbelievable. He, he's taken his game to another level with West Ham. I'm really surprised he's not regularly featuring for England, if I'm honest, but that's just my view. Um, and he did give Lodi a torrid time all game. Um, I, Funnily enough, <clears throat> when that cross came in, um, where I was watching it, um, they froze it and I thought it was offside and I relaxed and I thought, oh, no, it's definitely offside. And then when they draw the lines, I'm like, oh dear, it's not offside. Um, but it, yeah, it was coming, wasn't it? But I think just my disappointment is, you know, we spoke about it. It's just the reaction after that. You know, chances are we're always probably going to let in a goal in that game and we are going to let in away goals, but it's about how you react. I think the best teams or the teams that stay in games for that next five, 10 minutes, and I appreciate there was only 20 minutes to go, just make sure they don't concede another. So whether it's they, they drop back a little bit, double up, you know, the worst thing you can possibly do is concede a second because then it's pretty much game over. And unfortunately, that's what we did. But that first goal, um, I think it was, I don't know, I don't want to be too harsh on them because if you look at the the, the second and third, you can, you can be harsh. So I'm not going to be, I'll, I'll leave it to the other guys to, to pinpoint the second and the third goals. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, Greg, you can be harsh about your Colin's be harsh. Colin, you can be harsh about the second goal then. Um, I mean, like like Mikey said, the reaction is immensely pretty abysmal to just switch yeah. off like that. And Nico Williams will be disappointed. Joe Worrell will be disappointed. Probably the whole back four to some degree might be disappointed. But certainly Worrell and, and Williams we just might just boot the ball into touch or win the battle or whatever. It's again not not a great response, is it? No, it's not. It, uh, and it it, um, it goes back to it, well, it goes back to a couple of things. It goes back to the the, um, the the mentality, really, I suppose. That and it does feel a little bit like this. I, I suppose Fulham would be an exception. To be fair, it, it would be harsh to to level this at them against Fulham uh, in the the previous away game. But it almost feels like once they go one nil down, that's it. 
once mm. you go one nil down, that the the heads drop, and 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 you know, not not from us watching, but from those on the pitch, it almost you know the the, the evidence is almost oh, that's it then. Well, we've lost. Now they didn't do that at Fulham. They came back and they had a right old go in the second half, and and should have got an equaliser. Didn't got caught on the break late on for the second goal. So Fulham's a, a bit different, and and a kind of. I think, Mikey, you said it earlier, or it might have been Greg, that, you know, you, you kind of accept that sort of away defeat. That's fine. You know, you, you concede a goal because you're all over the place because you've lost your two centre-halves uh, in the first five minutes. You then have a right old go at them. You're banging on the door for an equaliser. You get caught for a late goal on the break. That You can accept that happens away from home. Um, but that's entirely different to what happened at, at West Ham. And, and you go back to that that sort of mentality and and just really how easy it was for West Ham to score their goals. I mean, Forrest never laid a glove on them. They never got close to a tackle. They never got close. You know, you look at the, I think it's the fourth goal when, you know, Brennan Johnson's tracking back to go and try and help out. But in the end, Fornells has just turned. Johnson's gone sailing straight past him and off the pitch. And Nico Williams is stood next to him watching and he just crosses. And Mikel Antonio at the back, thank you very much. I'm, I'm taller than... Harry Toffolo, and I can go and head it in. And it's so easy for them. Same for the third goal. You know, you look, it's easy down the left-hand side. Uh, nobody gets near them to put a tackle in or hold the ball up or get a block or anything. Turn, lay it back. Lots of time for Rice to pick his spot, and he's too good to give him that sort of time. So it, it's just that it kind of, you know, it goes back a little bit, again, to, to use the a phrase I used earlier about naivety. And you remember the the Manchester United goal in the first leg and how Marcus Rashford's just run from, you know, 20 yards inside his own half and ends up scoring from seven yards out. Somebody just go and hit him. Somebody just knock him into touch or something. Just do it and take the yellow card. I know it's early in the game, but it's that sort of naivety, really, that that surprises me with Forrest still at this stage of the Premier League. First few games, you can kind of think yeah okay they're getting to terms with it um but we're still seeing it and and it was that again on Saturday really that you know this idea that they, they're not even close enough to get a tackle or a block in and that just presents any club in the in the Premier League any team in the Premier League will score goals if you're not going to do that Mm. Yeah, you're spared there because Colin's covered all the goals. And... That's why he's that's why he's a professional. As soon as he started talking about the fourth, I thought, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'd have taken the fourth for you. I mean, the fourth was a mess. So, yeah, I think you know, it's a, there's some lessons to be learned for players. They're going to have to learn them quickly away from home. I mean, you know, like Nico Williams, it's a mental test for him to be a 90 minute right back because he was he can't be a 70 minute right back. He wasn't. He was getting praised on commentary of the method of viewing I had uh, for how he handled Ben Rama, but then he just, you know, it's, some of those goals are on him, some are on Worrell. It's lessons they're going to need to learn, but I, I, I'm still, my, my opinion hasn't changed from the first day of how this season is going to go, that there's going to be really rough periods, and I think Forrest are going to stay up, and it's not going to be massively pretty, and I think home form's going to do it. Still, I think they, they don't need, like I said earlier in the show, they don't need to win five away games. They don't even need to win five away games. The five games will stop to stay up, I don't think. I think four will be enough. So if they can get one away win and two away draws by hook or by crook, then I think they'll be, that'll make such a difference to take the pressure off these home games. It's just, can they do it? You know, we haven't seen enough evidence consistently that they can. And they've got some tough away games to come. So they do need to learn some lessons. Um, right, on, on to Everton. Like you say, Greg, it's such 
a massive game. There's a lot of pressure on Forest, but there's also a lot of pressure on Everton. They're, they're the team that have been avoiding relegation by the skin of their teeth for years and years. And Dyche has come in and done well, but it hasn't been perfect. They lost to Villa, they lost to Liverpool. They don't look like scoring goals. The Forest have to see this more of an opportunity than a, a you know a banana skin. I've got a few things on this. I haven't stopped thinking about it since Saturday. My worries is Dyche and Wone have seen every single one of our games. <laughs> There's no management team that has seen more of Forest than them there. So they're going to be so well set up and so ready to go. But this game for me has the feeling of uh, Blackpool when it was Pierce's first game, their first home game against West Ham. That massive, massive must-win occasion where every single person in that ground has a job to do and they genuinely do. It has to be that, that you know, just everything about it has to be how big this game is because to get seven points away from your relegation rivals after after full time would be absolutely enormous. It's it's the biggest game of the season for, for all of us, surely. They have got a sniff of something. They're going to go here believing they know how to set up against us. They know how to get a result against us, although a team hasn't really done it since back in September or October. So it's just huge. And yeah, we've got we've got issues that, you know, we spoke about fullback and stuff. Lottie might be injured still. It might be Toffolo and Nico. You don't know. But at, at, at home, we are such a different beast. And if we're behind that team and if that team gets a sniff like they did against Man City, you saw Cooper on the sidelines giving it that, getting that crowd going. If we can be like that for them and they put in a performance... We're not going to be talking about how many away games we have to win. We're going to be seven points clear, loads more confidence, free it against Spurs the week after, back at home to get another good result. So it's just huge. It's massive. Saturday's been spoken about a lot now, online and everything, and all the focus has to be about Sunday. And three of the next four games are at home, Colin, as well. So if they can win this game, I know it's a big if, isn't it? But if they can win... And then Newcastle feel like they've slid away. And then Wolves at home. I know we say this all the time. It's a crucial phase of the season. It's starting to get to the home straight now. Yeah, uh, the games are, are starting to run out, aren't they now? You, you start to be counting down rather than looking at how many are left. You, you're starting to count backwards. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, it's, I think Sunday is huge. I mean, I thought both of the, the games were, were big games. Uh, you got West Ham and, and then Everton coming up, and they're both. You know, it feels like that felt like a pivotal fortnight. Well, given what's happened in the first half of that fortnight, it just puts so much more emphasis now on on uh, on Sunday. Um, and I, I, you know, you, you absolutely don't lose that game. Um, it does feel a bit like a must win. Uh, I, I know nothing will be decided, but then you know. As I said earlier, you lose the game against Everton, you go to Tottenham under massive, massive pressure and with a danger that day of going back into to the bottom three, just ahead of Newcastle at home and then a two-week break. But let's flip it and say you beat Everton and you get your seven-point gap. And that's, you know, that... You, I mean, you'd have to say, I don't think there have been many games that Forrest have been favourites going into. I don't think the bookmakers ever make Forrest favourites very often, but I think they probably will on Sunday. I, I think the... Um, that the fact of Forest's home form and the fact of Everton's struggles make Forest the favourites going into it, I think. Um, you know, the bookies will probably prove me wrong now for Everton as favourites. But um, so, so there's no reason to suggest 
that they won't go and win against Everton on, on Sunday. Um, they're capable of winning against Everton. Uh, I know Everton have got the Deitch boost, um, and I thought it was a good appointment, a shrewd appointment for them. I thought it was the appointment they needed. I thought at one stage they weren't going to make it, but then they did finally uh, settle on Sean Deitch, and I thought that was probably crucial for them. And obviously he's won a couple of games, lost a couple as well. Um, I, I thought that in terms of Sunday's game, the fact that they lost at, against Villa at home was um, was good for, from a Forest point of view because it keeps that pressure on on Everton. You imagine if they'd beaten Villa and they'd come to Forest a point behind um, and with a real high, I think that would have meant Deitch would have won three out of four mm. uh, and they would have really been on a high in terms of confidence. So the fact that they've lost again, um, even though they played quite well by all accounts, um, is, is I think, positive from a Forest perspective. But the, the biggest positive is that they're at home. Um, there's no reason to, you know, that they've played well at home. They haven't just fluked results. They've ridden their luck at times in games. You know, you look at the Harvey Barnes chances for Leicester before Forrest went and, and, and got their two goals. So, they, you know, Leeds had chances as well, but they didn't take them. So they have ridden their luck, but they've also produced some good football. Uh, at the city ground and if they can do that again against Everton then I think they'll win and if they do win then that's massive uh, for the for the rest of the season Newcastle just going through a bit of a wobble no reason to suggest Forrest couldn't get something out of that as well Spurs we've already said we're, we're getting a nil-nil there so that's sorted so we'll have a point from uh, from Spurs um, and then you know if that happens then we're going into that two-week break ahead of the the final run-in with uh, a, a lot of confidence then that Forest will stay up. So that's why it's such a crucial period, as you said. It, it absolutely is. And Sunday is such a crucial game in terms of the in terms of the league position and in terms of the confidence and belief it can give Forest going forward after that. Mm. Mikey, any team changes for you? Any tactical changes for this game? Yeah, I've, I've just been thinking that, actually. Um, so can you have a nine-pointer? I don't know whether you can. <laughs> I would say safe, but I'm sure if if you, if you could, then this one could fall into that bracket. I think it's absolutely massive. I concur with the guys. Um, in terms of team changes, I, w- I was thinking this morning around the way they've been structured since Deitch took over. Um, really interesting. So, Demari Gray, I think, has not started the last couple of games. They've used him as a as an impact sub, which is strange because I think he's probably their most creative player. They they've gone with. Um, Tarkovsky and Cody in a back four, not the most quickest and mobile. So it makes me think perhaps we can counter that because you assume he's going to set up in a, in a sort of similar way. Um, perhaps this is a game for Lingard, just to throw one out there. So, you know, a few games back when he was fit, we had the Lingard, Gibbs White, Johnson sort of axis up front, all three very mobile, dropping off, not that focal point. I think if he stuck, stuck maybe a Chris Wood or an Ayu up there, um, they may prefer that, in theory, to three little players buzzing around, quicker players making those runs. It's just a, just a thought I was having. I'm not sure which way I'd go. I'd, I'd probably be tempted to... Uh, I probably would t- be tempted just to start Wood or I would just as that focal point and see how the game goes, especially if Lingard can't do more than half hour, 45 minutes. But I'm sure it will be something that Cooper will be thinking about this week in terms of how to get in behind their back four, which also includes Seamus Coleman, 
as well, who, who again isn't isn't the most mobile. So I think there's an opportunity there for us to get in between the lines and in behind, especially if we play the right team. One more thing, Matt. If we do get a point at Tottenham, our Spurs mate Ritual spontaneously combust. You know that, don't you? Like, <laughs> you know. He will. He melts. He melts down when they win. So when they when yeah. they draw or lose, yeah. Which would be lovely. But no, um, in all seriousness, I think um, really interesting the way he's going to set up against Everton. I'd, I'd be really tempted to play those nice little neat, nifty players up front and just see if we can sort of get in behind them uh, initially. And then as the game pans out and it possibly becomes more stretched, then maybe, you know, Chris Wood made a, made a great impact off the bench at Man City. And maybe that's one for him again, but certainly something to think about. Yeah, Wood's the most interesting player because Dyche will know his game inside out and how to restrict him. And Wood will want to prove a point to, that he can, you know, counter anything Dyche throws at him and have that impact again that he had against Man City. So it'd be most interesting if he starts for me. But I do like the notion of getting busy players around Tarkovsky and Cody. So maybe Lingard, maybe Scarp has drifted out of the picture. He seems to have fallen out of favour. Maybe he comes in or they play a slightly different midfield it will be interesting to see right we've uh, gone for almost 50 minutes here so we should uh, go on to any other business last five minutes Colin you've given us your time very generously anything you want to plug including your own podcast which has a, a John Motson reference in the title in the week of his passing anything you want to add yeah, it does. No, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, Shut Up and Show More Football is uh, is, is our podcast from the BBC and uh, we try and do that every week. Um, it's not always possible, depending on who's around and who's on holiday. Um, but yeah, that um, that title, a lot, a lot of, there was a lot of confusion about where that title came from because it's a, it, it's a lesser known cluffy quote, but it did come from a, uh, an interview with John Motson where he was moaning about pundits always going on, a bit like we have for the last 50 minutes, um, and just talking too much on football shows and not showing enough, uh, enough football. So um, yeah, it's, it's kind of quite fitting this week and uh yeah we should uh i should certainly in the in the industry that i'm in um mention john motson i think there was a lovely touch at wembley for the league cup final wasn't there where they gave him a seat with a sheepskin jacket over the top and, and his picture there was uh, in the west ham press room at the weekend there was um just on the front desk where they do the, the press conferences um there was uh, just a picture of john motson and a little tribute to uh, to motty i think that was the case at, at pretty much every uh, Premier League ground, possibly most football grounds around the country as well. He was certainly a, a trailblazer for for our industry, and uh, and he'll be sadly missed, I think, by many many people in football. Uh, Greg, I'll come to you last. Uh, <laughs> Mikey, anything you want to add? Nothing in particular. Just just to say that I'm really looking forward to Sunday. I think anybody who who listens or watches this. Uh, not to chalk off West Ham because it's right that we dissect it and we try and understand what happened. But I think our home form, as we're all saying, has been integral for us. And I see no reason why that can continue. And one more thing, if you look at, I always go, who from the opposition would I take in a Forest team? And I'd encourage everyone to look at Everton's last lineup. And if you can tell me more than two or three players you think are getting Forest team, then you're doing better than me. So I think we've got a great chance Support will be key. I think we're the better team and I think we'll win on Sunday. Greg, is there anything you want to add? Well, when you're going to cut me off, I think I've got like four things here. I've just got to remember them all. Um, One of them, Sunday. Just bring your scarves. Bring absolutely everything you can. Bring your biggest voices. Just bring the lot. Greet the bus when it comes in. Do whatever you want. But it's, it's just so big. We've got to do something and we've got to open because... 
you hear those players, you hear the manager, it works. So we've just got to be there like we have every other single game. Uh, Bands, Celestines, they're playing uh, March the 18th at Bodega. It's like £7. They're a brilliant band. Please go and check them out. Uh, the football, again, it's not always about the game, is it? Pre-match at West Ham, it was so good. We found this brilliant bar at Hackney Wick. Uh, Dan, my mate Dan had flew over from New York. He saw the game, his first Premier League game in God knows how long. <laughs> not sure he enjoyed that, but it was great to see him. Uh, my mate Shane had flew over from Ireland from the Munster branch. It was just He's such a brilliant person and it, it's great to see these people. And of course, Matt, who gives me loads of stick on here, he came up from Felixstowe. And then um, just a little personal one, if you'll give me one minute. I'll try not to get upset. But my, um, my sister's been suffering with breast cancer since summer. And it's her eighth and final chemotherapy on Thursday. Uh, she's been unbelievable. So I just want to give her a massive shout out. My nephews have been unreal. They've been so, so thoughtful. Uh, my brother-in-law's been the rock. So for her and what she's been through and anyone else who's going through it, sorry, uh, just a massive shout out to you because you're unbelievable. So my sister, just last one on Thursday, good luck. And we're all thinking of you. So that's it. <laughs> Is this um, the mother of the 14-year-old who may or may not have been hung over? <laughs> <laughs> I was saying how good he's been. Well, <laughs> I met my nephew before the... Uh... <laughs> oh, she's going to kill me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thousand people who watch <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's Alice. Bless him. He's an yeah, absolute saint. So he's an absolute ig- saint. Ignore what was just said then. <laughs> I did have one more thing to embarrass you. I feel bad about it now. No, go for it. I need it. I need it. Well, I'm going to show this two-second video because... Your mate Steve <laughs> said he'll give 25 quid if I show it. To, is it Martin Hibbert, the Forest fan? Oh, God, yeah. He's games. cycling to every away game for a cancer charity. So, yeah. So, he's raised almost a grand. So, Steve is going to have to give 25 quid. Just this two-second video. So, excuse the thing of a swearing in it. But I have to ask, do you fall off your seat and end up on your ass in this video? I'll show it now. It's As- literally two seconds. Hang on. And I'll show it again because that was really short. So is that the rail seating at London Stadium and you just fall on your backside or not? No, no comment. I sit nicely <laughs> on my seat. <laughs> right. What a note to end on. I feel bad after the lovely words. The most <laughs> no, I'm glad. I'm glad you got me off it. <laughs> well, there we go. I hope the last few minutes show there's more to life than football. Obviously, Saturday was an absolute misery and, you know, people were frustrated. All of us were frustrated after the game. Pretty dismal performance. But there's always another one. And it's Everton at the weekend, and obviously hopes are high. Right, uh, Mikey, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure as always, Matt. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, Colin, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for having me. Greg, I've got a little tear in my eye from your little uh, speech about your sister. Thank you very much. Yeah, red wall on Sunday. Don't forget, everyone, we've got a job to do. Yeah, certainly do. Certainly do. Right, thanks very much, everyone. Um, Wi-Fi permitting in my house. There'll be something on Thursday. I'm sure we can... Russell something up looking ahead to the weekend but if not then you'll know that uh, I've uh, taken Sky to task and we're looking for a new broadband provider in the meantime have a good week everyone and we shall see you soon